Hello, and welcome to show number 2306 of Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. Well, this week is an encore episode in which Nancy and I recreate a trip that we took around Colorado for two or three weeks for our 35th anniversary. So come with us as we prepare for the journey and hike on everything from flat trails along raging rivers to narrow ledges hanging on steep canyon walls and more. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip is if you're going to take a hike somewhere you've never been before, ask specific explicit questions about trail conditions that might be important to you before embarking on a hike because many other people don't know what's important to a blind person like a steep drop-off on a narrow trail, for example. And we're generally pretty good about that. We're pretty experienced hikers. We pick up trail books or hiking books explaining the details about hikes that we plan on taking. We'll ask people, locals, rangers about the hikes. But sometimes, as you'll see later on in this show, we get a surprise. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by APHConnectCenter.org, empowering people toward independence and success by providing blogs, information, and resources for individuals of all ages who are blind or visually impaired. Information and referral line are at 1-800-232-5463. Rocky Mountain Well, thank you to John Denver for expressing how we feel about the Rocky Mountains and the rest of the state of Colorado. This has been a really great move for us. The weather is spectacular out here. It's geographically very varied and diverse, and there are great hiking and biking trails all around. Generally a great experience. And we're hoping to show you exactly why we like it so much. So this trip that we took, we visited five national parks and crossed the Continental Divide four times. And in between, we saw everything from mountains to canyons to the headwaters of some of the major rivers in this country, mesas, plains, forests, deserts, you name it, we saw it. And it was all just right there in our new home state. We love it. And do you remember which parks we saw? I do. In sequence, we went to the Colorado National Monument just outside Grand Junction, where there were wonderful rock formations. We had a great hike. The Black Canyon of the Gunnison, which is between Grand Junction and Uray, and it's a very deep canyon with a river at the bottom. That's the Gunnison River. And it's called that because the walls are black rock, which is kind of unique. We visited the Canyons of the Ancients near Cortez, and they had a lot of ancient 
Native American dwellings and other artifacts and an interesting museum. We went to Mesa Verde, which we will be talking about later, and that's an enormous mesa cut through with a lot of canyons and lots and lots of ancient cliff dwellings, and the great sand dunes outside of Alamosa. As we took the trip, Pete created a little bit of a travelogue and sent notes home to our friends and relatives. And it was interesting. Our friends really enjoyed hearing about our trip because I try to inject some humor into what I write as well as some of the descriptions. But one of the comments we got was that our friends thought, despite the fact that I was writing these descriptions of what we saw, it seemed like I had actually been seeing the places we were in. And this is all because, you know, Nancy is very descriptive. I mean, over the years, we've developed quite a rapport, and, you know, she knows exactly what I need to know and hear. And I see a lot through her eyes. And that's sort of what this is all about, in addition to paying attention to my own senses. And we'll hear some of that later, too. So here's an example of one of these wonderful descriptions I did for Pete as we were standing on top of a mesa in Palisade. Here we are in Palisade, Colorado, looking west towards Grand Junction. And if you spin towards the north, you'll see a beautiful bare rock ridge that extends like forever, just keeps getting steeper until you get to Glenwood Springs. And then you keep going. This kind of southeast, and that's Grand Mesa. And in the foreground are several billion peach trees, and cherry trees, and grapevines, and apple trees, and incredible scenery. Of course, what we can't share with you is the fresh, dry air, the sunshine, the cool breezes, but we'll hear some other sounds later on that might be interesting. This is Cascade Waterfall. It is the seventh of seven major waterfalls on the Cascade River. Once it drops to 8,000 feet or so in Uray, it turns into this scenic bubbling creek, and it continues down into the town of Uray. And don't you just feel if you step the wrong way, you're going to be drenched in a waterfall and come out soaking wet? Yeah, one thing we learned about that particular river and waterfall is that about every 10 years or so, it floods half the town of Uray, and nobody's bothered to move anything. They just clean up every 10 years or so. I guess they really like the place. It was gorgeous there. I could see why they stay, but boy, I wouldn't want to get flooded out every couple of years. There's a big sign at the entrance to the town, Welcome to Uray, the Switzerland of Colorado. There's an image. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is our experiences traveling around Colorado, starting with our preparations. And... You know, this is a no-excuses household. Just because Pete can't see doesn't mean he doesn't get involved in everything. So what was the first thing you did? 
Well, the first thing I did was hop online and start Googling for information in the various towns and cities that we were expected to drive through, and then general information from Colorado. And almost every town has their visitor center where there's lots of information online. Now, some of the information is a little nuisance to get through online, but they often have some place where you can either fill out a form or send them an email and request something in print so they can send you a pamphlet. So sometimes I would look for events happening in the evening and schedules so I could plan on which towns to see when. But I would also have them send me these brochures because that's easy for Nancy to peruse through rather than going through a number of web pages. Another way we prepared for this trip was we inadvertently got hold of a raised relief map of the area that we were going to. And we would like to thank our friends, Hannah and Fred, for giving that to us. It was fantastic. Colorado is a state of very varied terrain. The eastern half is all plains. The western half is mountains and mesas and plateaus. And so with this map, we were able to see where we were going and which passes were the most treacherous that we might not want to drive over. And it was great. Nancy would take my finger and say, here's where we're starting. We're going through this pass over here, up this mountain, and, and I could drive the whole tour with my finger. In fact, now that we're back, we're still remembering the trip that way, and she takes me on these little trips around Colorado. So another preparation, and this one's been going on for the last 30 or 40 years, is Pete's progression of hiking sticks. When we first started hiking, and that was in the Adirondacks where the trails tend to have a lot of minor obstacles, roots, rocks, mountain streams, Pete used to use his multi-segmented white cane, the kind with the bungee cord in between the segments. We quickly learned that didn't work so well, didn't we? We sure did. Every once in a while, the one end would get stuck in the mud and the other end would pull free. And not a happy situation. So we switched to a heavy-duty wooden hiking stick. Well, that was very robust, but it was heavy and awkward. So we got one of these newfangled aluminum hiking sticks that's extendable but sturdy, and that worked great. And most recently, we've gotten, well, the other one was newfangled at the time. Now it's later, so the newfangled one is way better than the old so-called newfangled one. And we got one of these carbon fiber hiking sticks, and this is so light, we each take one. And these new technologies have really improved the hiking experience. As Nancy says, they're very sturdy, they're quick to put together, they're adjustable, and this is a great asset when going on a hike. I sort of use it like a cane, but it's also a little bit of extra stability when we're going over rocky and steep terrain. And I use mine because sometimes everybody needs a little boost, either for stability or balance, or just to help get up over a fairly large boulder. So in the introduction, we talked about taking walks along everything from flat paved trails along rivers to rugged trails on mountains and cliffs. And when we got back, people asked us what was the most memorable. Well, let me tell you, Mesa Verde. If you've never been there, it's spectacular. It's an enormous mesa that has canyons carved into it and in the cliffs are some 
Native American dwellings that are over a thousand years old, and you can get down to them with a park ranger as a guide and see them up close. And it's just a marvelous experience. But in addition to seeing the cliff dwellings, there are also some hiking trails. And we took the one they call Petroglyph Point Trail because there are petroglyphs along the trail. And this was an interesting experience. We started trekking along this trail and I wasn't worried at all because I felt the firm ground under me. I had my hiking stick in one hand and my hand on Nancy's shoulder on my other hand. And Nancy was getting really nervous and very uncomfortable. And about halfway through the hike, she wanted to catch my attention. And she turned around to me and said, Pete, put out your right hand. I put out my right hand and I felt a steep vertical wall of one side of the canyon. She said, okay, now put out your hiking stick on the other side. And I put out my left hiking stick, there was nothing. And of course, this trail had been getting narrower and narrower and narrower and not any smoother as we got further and further along. And because the trail gets so narrow, it's a one-way trail. So we couldn't turn around if we wanted to because it was going to be impossible to pass everybody going the correct direction. And so we kept going with our hearts in our throats And we were just terrified the whole time. There was quite a precipitous drop-off on the one side. And when we got back to the trailhead, we went into, there's a little museum there, and we spoke with some of the rangers at the museum. They encouraged us to submit a comment. And so we did, because, you know, blind people would want to know if there's a precipitous drop-off that's half a mile deep on which you could plunge to your death if you missed one step. And this wasn't in any of their literature. And so we submitted a comment. And a couple of weeks later, we heard back from a very sincere representative of the park. I'm really sorry. What do you suggest we do? We're going to try to improve it. We'll put you in touch with our person who deals with accessibility at the National Park System. And we were really impressed by how seriously they took this comment. They do try to make the national parks very accessible. It's just that no one told us about the drop-offs. They just mentioned about the rockiness and the steepness of the hike. So that was a bit of a surprise, but we also had some more pleasant hikes. For anybody who hasn't been to the national parks in the United States, they are wonderful. And if you are a U.S. citizen of any age who has a disability that impairs any life function, and let me tell you, blindness counts, you can get what used to be called the Golden Access Card or what is now called the Access Pass. And this is free of charge. You can get it at any national park directly from a ranger. It's good for the rest of your life. It lets you into the parks for free, along with everybody else in your car. It gives you discounts to some of the other user fees, like campgrounds and stuff. This is a great thing. And then we've been to many national parks, including the five we just visited on this trip. And we've made great use of Pete's Golden Access Pass. So as we mentioned, we also took a variety of hikes, and one of the more interesting ones from the standpoint of using your other senses was some of the walks along the rivers, like the Colorado River and the Rio Grande, where you could hear things like this. Viewfinder. We're walking along the Rio Grande outside Alamosa, and there's this really weird bird sound. 
as well as a billion other birds around. There's Nancy. Hello. One face, Hello. Small face, face near bottom edge. One face, small zero face, faces. <laughs> zero faces. And some more bird sounds. We saw so many birds on this trip. At one point, we were just standing around and this bird that turned out to be a raven took off from a dead stop and was flapping its wings so hard, Pete thought he heard a train going by. <laughs> anyway, at the end of that clip, you heard voiceover on my phone announcing through the viewfinder that there was one face in focus. So I try to take some videos, but I'm not always the best at doing that. We do have a trick for doing this more effectively, though. Since I can't always aim the camera in the direction I want and get the person centered in the frame if I want to take a photo or a video, what we'll do is we'll turn the phone around so that the screen faces Nancy if I want her in the picture, and that way she can guide me and aim me and set up the framing of the picture that way. A little up, a little down, a little to the left, and then I know when to snap the picture. And sometimes that works better than others, but I can move and get into the frame of the picture, and that is sometimes necessary. Here we are at the top of the mountain after driving, after taking the gondola up from Telluride. Nancy's over there. The gondola is over there. It's a gorgeous day, sunny, blue skies, birds in the trees. And I'll just do a panorama so we can see the mountains and the snow on the faraway mountains. Oh, and apparently if I tilt down, we can see the city of Telluride where we came up from. Almost finished with the panorama. And where are you? I'm over here. Aha. But I'm taller than And there's Nancy. Goodbye. Okay? Yeah. I eventually get her in most of the pictures. And that weird hum you heard was the gondola that in the winter is used as a lift for the ski area, but in the summer they use it to take people up to the top if they want to hike or mountain bike or whatever else you might want to do on a beautiful mountain. One of the great things about Colorado is it can be sunny and 70 and gorgeous weather at the top of some of these mountains, and on the peak across the way you can see the snow covering the peak. It's a great contrast against the blue sky, from what I'm told, anyway. The other thing we saw from a great distance, if you've been listening to the news, this has been a very, very, very dry winter in Colorado. And so there have been a lot more very large forest fires. And although we did not get very close to any of the forest fires, there was one point where we were standing outside our hotel at Mesa Verde National Park, and I could see the smoke from the fire north of Durango, and that was 50 miles away, and the smoke was rising way higher than the mountains in the foreground. It was really, really impressive, and, you know, we're just hoping they get all these fires put out. We actually canceled some hotel reservations we had in Durango because we were told that depending on which way the wind was blowing, it could get very smoky there. But we did stop there for lunch on a day when it wasn't so bad, and we learned about... Mike the Headless Chicken. 
We got lucky. We went into the visitor's center, of which there is one in every town, and they're always a great source of information, and they almost always have free public restrooms that are pretty clean and free Wi-Fi, and those are also both attractions. And we asked some question, and the woman volunteering there said, hey, you know, there's free lunch and live music down by the river. There's always a river running through these mountain towns. That's why they put them there, because that's how people used to get around, and that's how they irrigate anything they try to plant. And so we attended, and thank you to the local bank that sponsored this event, and there was a bluegrass band, and among other things, they sang a song about Mike the Headless Chicken. Well, apparently this happened around the time of World War II. Some farmer came out to uh, do in his chicken and must have not cut the entire head off. And this chicken survived for another 18 months headless. You can look it up on Wikipedia. It's an interesting story. From Durango, we kept going. And one of the places we got to after passing more hot springs and mountains and beautiful scenery was Alamosa. And near there is the Great Sand Dunes National Park. Now, this is unlike anything we'd ever seen. And we've been to White Sands National Park, which has huge dunes. And we've been to Coral Sand Dunes. And we've been to other places. But this is the biggest in the continental United States. And it was spectacular. It was a lot of fun. It was like being on a giant beach, but without any water. People were camped out there in chairs, playing ball, running around. Kids were sliding down the sand dunes on homemade boards and making snow angels and pictures in the sand. It was a lot of fun. And just to give you an idea, some of these dunes are 800 feet tall, which is a couple of hundred meters starting at 8,200 feet of altitude. Oh, yeah, and it's surrounded by mountains on three sides, and some of those are snow-capped, and the scenery is to die for. Pete had a really interesting experience at the sand dunes. Well, you know, often when I walk around, I'm tethered to somebody by holding their arm or shoulder or something, like my cane or following a wall, and so I'm used to always having something being attached to me. But there's nothing to run into in the middle of these sand dunes. No trees, no walls, no houses. So Nancy said, why don't you just let go and walk around yourself? And I felt really uncomfortable doing that at first. It was kind of funny. And at first, after she convinced me, I thought, man, I'm going to fall over. What if I uh, get unsteady? But it didn't matter because there was nothing to get hurt on. The whole thing was sand. And it was actually kind of fun. It was a very liberating experience. I haven't done that in a long time. You never know what you're going to run into on a trip to a place you've never been. And Pete had actually found this when he was searching online. We planned our stay in Telluride for a particular weekend, and that was their annual hot air balloon festival. And it turned out the night we arrived, there were hot air balloons on Main Street. They didn't take off, but they filled themselves up with the hot air, and they lit themselves up, and I swear everybody in Telluride came out to watch. And when they turn on the burners to heat up the hot air balloons with hot air, you can feel that from half a block away. Those are massive burners, and they make an incredible sound. 
that was them just putting little puffs of hot air into the balloon with that big whoosh sound. You know, if they want to go flying, they have to keep that on for a longer time. But this is at the end of the day when everybody's sort of celebrating, the balloons are on the ground, townspeople all come out and fill up the streets, and it's a big party time for everybody. So that was a lot of fun. That was just a sampling of our trip. We had a lot of fun, and um, I'm sure we'll do something like that again sometime. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Now for this week's final item. As we mentioned, we spent two weeks away from home. Well, we don't have a camper. We stayed in hotels. And the way we arranged the trip, we pretty much spent one day in a location and then another day traveling. And that meant we stayed at six or eight different hotels. And so the final item this week is about what to expect in a hotel and how to handle the unexpected. So about half the hotels we stayed in were major chains. And not surprisingly, if you stay in one hotel over here from this chain and you stay in another hotel a thousand miles away from the same chain, your room's going to look pretty much the same. So for me, those are the easiest to adjust to. The layout is pretty much standard and you know where the bed is, you know where the bathroom is, etc. I feel comfortable when we walk in immediately. So that's the biggest positive. But we also, on this trip, stayed in several old one-off hotels. And by old, I mean like 1900 or before. And so those weren't quite as standardized. They don't even have digital keys yet. Somebody handed us a couple of physical keys, and I took its picture because I was so surprised to see a real key. Haven't seen those in a long time. But that was kind of interesting. We stayed up... In an old mining town at 10,200 feet, Leadville, where there was the hotel we stayed in was from 1890, and they renovated it, but tried to keep a lot of the look and feel and tradition of the place in place. And there were antiques all over the place. One of the things that I do when I'm booking hotels is I always look at the pictures. And one of the things that is really important is is this going to be a hotel room that's relatively easy for Pete to navigate? Standard or not, you know, sometimes if you stay in an older building, they'll have a slanted ceiling that Pete can bang his head on, or there's too narrow of a passageway and he's going to bang his knee trying to get around the bed. So I always look at the pictures and I try to make sure that wherever we stay, even if it's not standard, is at least reasonable. One of the other things this particular hotel had was um, all of these antiques up and down the halls, and they were all for sale. And they had a real confessional from the 1890s that they were offering to sell. Only $7,500 if you wanted to take it home and confess your sins. And in the show notes for this episode, which is 2306, we'll have links to where you can acquire the National Park Pass for visually impaired people. And we've also done many other episodes about travel, and we'll have some links there. Or you can put travel in the search field on our website and find more shows. Anyway, for all of that, just go to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. 
That's it for today's show. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking with somebody who successfully trained for and obtained employment through a program with Insight. Matthew Keel is currently a sourcing specialist working at Johns Hopkins, a job that he was able to obtain thanks to his new training. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope to catch you next week. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.